Welcome to the podcast, All My Friends Are Therapists. My name is Annie Kendig, and I'm a licensed mental health professional. And although I have my own therapist, my friends always end up filling in the gaps. Each episode will be real talk, mental health topics with a licensed mental health counselor who turns all of her friends into therapists. Emily, welcome back. Episode two. Thanks for having me. You're so excited again. I know. (laughs) We're kind of switching gears here. You know, our first episode was about emotions in the workplace. Love that. Um, Today, we're going to have a tougher conversation. I am ready. I know you are. I was born ready. That's why this topic was specially picked for you um, because you are such a role model for this. I don't know if you know this about yourself, but you are such a role model for this because Emily is who I turn to when I need to like get ideas out and processed and kind of briefed and that may have lots of really heightened and activated emotions and also maybe controversial ideas. Because Emily is so good about keeping an even head hearing all points of perspective and not reacting to them or making me feel bad about them or like lied to you our entire friendship. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're just, you're such a good, just, if I have questions about a client, ethical, anything where I need to kind of talk things through, you're the person I call. And you're also the person I call when I'm like, you know, this happened in my personal life and I don't know how I feel about it. Like that is so fun too. So that's why this topic was specially picked for you because I think we're going to have a hard conversation and we're also going to talk about how to have hard hard conversations. So it'll kind of be like a double entendre kind of thing here. So I love it. And we're going to start out by telling a story because this actually happened. Okay. So um, all my podcast guests and I, sit and have coffee. We have a little meal and we talk about um, what we're going to talk about on the podcast so that nobody feels kind of um, like they're being put on the spot or anything. We all, we have a general outline. So we sit and we talk for about an hour and I've always called them powwows. Yes. (laughs) So if you can guess where this is going, we're going to have the hard conversation about cultural right place. appropriation. We are in the right place. The the therapy studio. So, Emily, tell everybody how you made me aware of my use of the term powwow. Yes. So, when you had brought up that we were going to be talking about hard conversations, so that was a possibility for us. I was racking my brain of examples, and it hit me that I had had a friend come to me and say, Emily, you know, I, I love you. And I noticed that you said this word in conversation. And what did I say? I had said powwow. Yep. And she said, I need you to know that that's not an okay word to say, right? Because it involves cultural appropriation and it's really disrespectful. Mm. And immediately... I knew, and I was like, oh my goodness, I cannot oh, believe course. that word came out of my mouth. And she's like, no, it, it is hard for us to unlearn those things. Yeah. But the way that she came to me to have that hard conversation was respectful. It was calm. It was 
you did this thing and I'd really like you to not do it in the future. Yeah. Uh, and I don't even think that it aligns with your own values. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Right? And so... So let me ask you this. Was this person Native American? No. So then why does she care? No offense. But why does she care? Why are we going around policing each other like this? Ah, so first of all, I hate the word policing. Sorry. No, 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 no. (laughs) Here we go. Here we're having this hard conversation. I actually don't think it's policing. I think it's... I think it's unlearning, right? Mm -hmm. We... Well, I I agree. It's definitely, you use these terms, especially I use this term, not even thinking. Is that white privilege that I get to not even think about where these things come from? Arguably, yes. Any number of kinds of privileges that are impacting, you know, I think before we even go there, let's situate ourselves. We are two privileged, middle class, white white women, educated, master's degree, dual income families. Yep. And so there's a lot of privilege of us going into this conversation about cultural appropriation, but I still think it's really important for us to have it because we need to be able to have these conversations Mm -hmm. and we need to know when to say, I don't know enough to make a decision about this. Oh, beautiful. And cultural appropriation is just one example of a hard conversation. And we're having, as a society, a lot of hard conversations about gender issues, uh, politics, I mean, anything. And we're from what we see in the media, or from what the media is choosing to show us, we're not very good at having hard conversations. Absolutely. And so why is it important for us to think about this? I think about the kind of values that I have, right? So Mm -hmm. she even pointed out it doesn't really align, you know, with who I am or what I believe. I, it is important to me to recognize how my words or my actions may directly or indirectly impact how I move through this world. Sure. Right. So it doesn't align with who I want to be as a person. And I want to be respectful of other people's and, and other culture. cultures. So, right. the, but this was my argument. Yeah. What if I'm using that term appropriately? What if, I don't know what powwow means, but I'm going to go look it up. And if it means coming together, ta- having meaningful conversations in an informal communal space and things like that, then I'm using it appropriately. And why is that looked at as appropriation? Why isn't it looked at as honoring and, hey, I'm using this bit of your culture because it's awesome. So arguably, that definition is a very brief definition that doesn't take into account the culture from which it came. The one that I found on dictionary.com? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty, yeah, that's true. Right, so when you, so I think we mentioned that a lot of these hard conversations is about getting curious, right? So what more is there to that story? than this little snippet that I have. But that's where I start. Right. But we shouldn't assume that that's all that there is. Mm, I guess. Right? So it's like, okay, right? We want to go, what's the definition of this? We can look up the definition. And I did. Here we go. We did. Yes. I thought it was pretty good. I thought like, yeah, that's what we're doing. And you were like, "Mm, no, (laughs) not really. Okay, here's the definition. A council or meeting of Native Americans Native Americans, sometimes with people from other communities. And then it says, informal, a conference or gathering as of business people. That was number two. Other one, a Native American shaman, uh, a ceremony conducted by a shaman as the performance of healing or hunting, as in the performance of healing or hunting rituals. So it definitely has these Native American roots, 
but I think we've whitened it yeah. and broadened it <laughs> to include a conference or gathering of business people. Right. Right? That was not an original meaning. Right. And so context, right? When we're, look, it, we're thinking about words and pieces of things that we have appropriated from other places, right? There's so much context to it that we don't recognize. Like if we looked up the word depression right, sure. in the dictionary, it's going to be just this tiny microcosm right. of what depression really is. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so what does it mean to powwow or have a powwow, right? Well, let's go consult the people who know best. Native American or first, sure, you know, First Nations peoples, and, and when we dig into that further, we see this bigger picture. This is so tough because I'm I'm thinking of so many other examples of like now I have to rethink every single word I use, all of my vocabulary. Which you know, part of the other side of me is like, yeah, who cares, <laughs> right? Like, just do it, right? If it means somebody's not getting offended, or you know, I don't want to hurt people's feelings, of course. That's so that's more in line with my values. But you know, um, Brene Brown mentioned in one of her books. Brene Brown is a um, researcher and a social worker who mm-hmm. writes a lot. She calls herself a shame researcher. I can't speak today. Excuse me. Um, all of her books are wonderful, so look them. But in one of them, she talks about at a seminar she was giving, she uses the word gypped. And I didn't know where that had come, and I don't remember now where that had come from, but somebody pulled her aside afterward and said, you know, do you know the heritage of that word? And it's really not nice to be saying that. And she apologized and all those things. But I mean, where does it end? I don't know, which is not the answer you want or anybody wants. Well, but I don't want that. I can just see this becoming so PC culture, right? Like you just cannot say anything without fear of, here's an example. Um, Young black female puts a video on TikTok, YouTube, I don't know, whatever. She's an Irish dancer. She's Mm -hmm. wonderful. She's so good. And she is creating and choreographing to a Beyonce song. And she has incorporated the Irish dance moves and the sounds and the shoes. She's got the dress on as well. It's gorgeous with a little bit of hip hop and just a little bit of like her own little kind of grooves. You know, I don't even know if it's hip hop specifically, but, um, and she really got torn apart on the internet for culturally appropriating Irish dancing and the culture that it came from. I mean, that to me seems like creativity is under attack and now no one can do anything. You know, so I would slow us all down. (laughs) (laughs) No, I want to heat you up so that we can get pissed off and walk away from, I'm just kidding. Right. I think I hear two things in there is one is about attribution. How are, when we do, adapt or take things from other cultures how are we honoring them mm-hmm. how are we just taking what we want because it's convenient and comfortable mm-hmm. but are we acknowledging where it comes from are we educating ourselves um so right so when i say powwow i'm not necessarily attributing where that comes from which i don't know what that looks like so probably then i just shouldn't use it but how is this young female attributing 
that, you know, an Irish dancing or an Irish heritage or that culture. Right. She may very, I haven't seen the video. I don't know anything about it. And sure. I think about it, though, you know, has she learned about Irish heritage? Yeah. How does she honor that? How is she fusing them together? Seeing a video We've made a lot of assumptions about what she knows or what she's done to get right. herself to this place. Um, but just the fact that she knows what she's doing, right? She knows the steps. I mean, that took a lot of study, a lot of practice. So she's kind of immersed herself in that a little bit. And that, doesn't that take some sort of honor and respect of, okay, I'm going to kind of um, give myself to this and learn about this because I I think it's cool and... Right. So I think we there's some grace and curiosity that can come with that, mm-hmm. right? Rather than making a snap judgment um, from what we see. Now, the other thing we have to do as we're putting ourselves out there is that we have to be willing to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And we will, we have to accept the reality that we will get it wrong sure. sometimes. Yeah. You know, some of, you know, the language that we use is so ingrained in the way that we were brought up, Right that we don't even think about it yeah, uh, until someone points it out to us. And then it becomes an active process of choosing different words or choosing sure. different perspectives. Sure. And being willing and open to learning about it too, right? And not shutting it down, right? right. Like that's what I think is probably the most disrespectful thing is saying, oh, that doesn't matter. Or, oh, come on, you're crazy. Or like lighten up, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of like figuratively pet me on my head and tell me, you know, I'm trying too hard. That's, that's really difficult. Like, how do you have a, I mean, I don't even think you can have a conversation with somebody like that. Right. There's, there's no coming together that can happen from someone who has built a wall. Sure. Right. And that everything's going to be dismissed. Then, you know, there's Mm -hmm. no conversation there. Okay. Here's another example. Yes. All these white women. (laughs) In Lululemon's doing yoga. Is that cultural appropriation? So some of what I have read and what I have learned is that maybe yes, maybe no. We're going to be really dealing with the gray here today. Yeah, right. Because I I don't wear Lululemon, but I was trained. I'm a RYT and Mm -hmm. love yoga. And and I know and understand. and, And because I went through the training... I've learned, you know, the eight principles and, and those kinds of things and the breathing and and the fact that the whole point of yoga was to strengthen your meditation practice. The whole point of doing the poses was to um, strengthen your muscles so that you could sit longer in meditation. It wasn't even like, okay, a good exercise. That's not even the point of yoga. The point of yoga is to sit and meditate. But outside of the shavasana at the end of, you know, people's meditation or people's yoga practice, how many people have a long-standing meditation practice that probably not? Right. And I love what you're hitting on is that there is a spiritual component to the practice. Yes. And so many times, you know, what I have read and, and watched different videos on is that the kind of yoga practice that doesn't include the spiritual practice that doesn't honor its roots Mm -hmm. that doesn't use the sanskrit words for different poses and, and concepts 
we move to appropriation at that point. We've taken the bits and parts that are comfortable to and us that we like to us, right? That help make us money. Right. Like, but, but I stand by the right of the YouTube and Instagram influencer who wants to do yoga on a beach in her bikini and make a bunch of money. And still be held accountable or be able to be called out, right? Sure. You, there's no permission slip for doing what you want without somebody calling you out. Right. And we all have to be willing to accept that that might happen to us at some point. Sure. Right. And that's kind of a necessary. Like, yes, you can do that. There's no one that's going to come and arrest you. <laughs> right. Um, but it doesn't mean that somebody's not going to say, you have disrespected my culture. Yeah. You have disrespected thousands of years. Seriously, thousands of years. Right. Uh, and what you choose to do with that feedback is is really on each of us. Okay, so I'm trying to think of like, okay, so we agree on this. Like, <laughs> like you and I agree. This isn't yeah. necessarily like a hard conversation. We agree on this of like, no, I don't necessarily stand. Well, I do. The bikini girl doing yoga on Instagram, great. Good for her. But yeah, it's a little disrespectful. Like, that's not really what it's about. And who are you doing this for? Because you're not making me feel good. <laughs> you, don't make, you don't make me feel like I can go put on a bikini and do yoga. You're not making, this is for you. This is mm-hmm. to show off yourself. And that's annoying to me. But anyway, um, what about something that people are like, so what if I take the stance of like, no, you're nuts. Like, that's not appropriation. Um, and you need to kind of lighten up because that's how we've gotten here to where we are and all of the progress, which we have progressed so much. To get to where we are right now, we had to culturally appropriate. Sorry. Right. And, and so, again, that we, still talking about white people, white privileged people, <laughs> right? It's, it is a reconciliation of of oppression and any number of isms. Yeah. Um, and that's, and I'm going to keep using this word and I'll hate myself for it, but it's unlearning. Right? It is unlearning all of these things and acknowledgement that we are where we are because harm was caused to other people. Right. Yeah. Have you ever heard that Louis C.K.? <laughs> it's horrible. This Louis C.K. stand up. He's talking about, um, basically all of the wonders of the world, mm-hmm. Great Wall of China, the pyramids, were done on the backs of slaves. You know, it's 100%. just like we sit here going, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know, the railroad, this, these are amazing, amazing signs of progress. And his joke is, yeah, it's amazing what you can get done when you throw a bunch of death and human suffering at something. Of just like, this is... I mean, he's not wrong right. in that particular instance. <laughs> right. uh, you know, and I think um, it is not up to me to decide whether or not it's okay to say things like powwow and totem pole mm-hmm. and other words that we've we've taken from other cultures. Because I hold, priv- as a white person, I hold that privilege. I hold that power. Um, and Why? So, I have a question about white privilege. Maybe this is a good... Why, um, I guess I'm wondering, why is it so important to acknowledge privilege 
because it seems like what I see is people acknowledging privilege and putting white people or their race at a disadvantage, right, of, of just kind of holding themselves back maybe maybe in a figurative sense, in order to prop up other races and cultures. That seems counterintuitive to me. Like, And, and I've heard this before as the kind of the, um, the difference between equity and equality. So I want to challenge here and, and ask you, can you give me an example of someone putting themselves at a disadvantage? Yes. Yes, I can ask it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll have to think of something. Um, so let's say, uh, I don't know. And so this is a great example of having hard conversations, I think, because often we have ideas and we cling to them really strongly, but we don't necessarily know the specifics of it. So it's a very general thing, but if we can't dig down into the specifics, then that's an opportunity for us to get curious. Like, okay, so how did I come to this conclusion? Yeah. Because it's hard not to feel put on the spot or defensive of like, well, give me an example. Like that feels very like, okay, you know, get off my back. But, but you're right. I mean, and because what I immediately went to when you asked me that was, whatever example I come up with is never going to be truly disadvantageous. Right. You meant that, didn't you? <laughs> you sneaky little. So, <laughs> well, I'm going to think of an example. I'm going to think, you know, first thing that comes to mind is like employment. Uh-huh. I don't know. Like, are you thinking, oh, I shouldn't get this job. I'm not really qualified, you know, but I don't know how that actually might play out. Right. I guess what I'm thinking about is that there's when we're ta- what we're really talking about is shifting power. Right? And so there is some relinquishing of power, but it, that is a very general concept that looks very different in, you know, real life actionable situations. I think what's. Here's an example. So. um I saw this. It was an interview with Jordan Peterson. Okay. How do you, do you know him at no. all? Okay. I would v- be very interested to hear your reactions. And I don't know how I feel about him. He challenges a lot of feminists. Oh, yeah. And not in a way of like women bashing or anything like that. But he really challenges the ideas of um, this being a male-dominated culture. Mm. And the stats that he comes up with is... Um, Men are incarcerated at higher rates. Mm. Men are more victims of violent crimes. Men are more at risk of, you know, those types of things. So he's kind of challenges this idea of it being a male-dominated culture or that um, women are at a disadvantage because they're women um, with these other facts about how men are disadvantaged, but in other ways. And so, so it kind of challenges those kind of, um, those assumptions that I make about feminism that we're not going to get the job over the male, you know, that's an assumption. I I understand that's not always the case or the, um, income, you know, differential things like that. He challenges those things in a way that makes you go, Oh, where did this come from? And that's why I can't make up how I feel about them. 
you know, and what we see, if we're talking about income gap, let's do that. You know, I've heard and read things about the income gap being less in highly um, educated, like, so let's say a pharmacist. Male pharmacist and a female pharmacist are making pretty close the same wage because their training was the same. They get the same um, licensure type. They're kind of licensed the same. But if you're talking about, let's say, a lawyer, right? A male lawyer is going to take maybe criminal defense, right? Female lawyer will take maybe more of like a corporate lawyer position because she's going to pick up the kids, right? She needs flexibility in her schedule where the maybe criminal defense lawyer doesn't need that or can't, right? The criminal defense lawyer is making more money, but it looks on the surface like that lawyer, male lawyer, is making more money than this female lawyer when really what they're forgetting is this flexibility. And as a female in in the workplace, you pay for flexibility, right? That is kind of baked into this salary gap that we're not really thinking about because flexibility for an employer, for a company is money. And I love how you don't say, but you say, and that I hope everybody notices that (laughs) instead of saying, but she says, and it's genius. Sorry. Uh, Hashtag therapy training. (laughs) (laughs) There are pieces of that that I'm sure that there are truths to it. I honestly don't know enough to feel like I can comment on those examples specifically. But what we're also talking about is how we value work that traditionally women do. Right? And and so you can always, always, always come up with examples that refute the primary argument. Mm-hmm. But it's... It's a reliance on an either-or dichotomy, this binary of it is either male-dominated or female-dominated. or yeah, know, And it's that's not helpful because that's not our, the reality that we live in. So part of the challenge of having these hard conversations is accepting that there is some gray area. And we have to be willing to sit with that discomfort. Because, and you described that, you heard his points, you're sitting with them. There, They are some truths. Sure. Um, and, you know, ultimately what we're trying to define, I think, in that particular situ- situation is to define this problem of who holds power and then how do we define power? Right, because power, the way you make it seem like is power is used manipulatively or used to oppress others, which of course it has. And historically it has, but like, don't you think like today, like we're doing pretty good. Who's we? The United States. I don't feel great about answering that question. (laughs) (laughs) My answer is no. Yeah. Um, And I'm gonna not get wording right, but it, I know that there are other people who have written it far more eloquently than I'm about to say things. But but if we are defining success by how the best of us are doing rather than the least of us are doing, it's a terrible definition of success. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because 
you know, I've, my inclination is to come up with reasons why, like, okay, well, we, we're not all going to be equal, right? Striving for equality is, that's crazy, right? Like, that's not okay. Or, you know, like, that's not going to happen. Right. Well, and the way, even we think about, you talked about equality versus equity earlier. Mm-hmm. At, the way that we've even thought about those things in the last 10, 20 years has shifted and and improved, I think. I think of that little image that I saw shared on social media where equality is everybody getting the same size box to look over the fence, even though they're not the same height. Right. But equity is uh, getting you know, different size boxes so that everybody can see over the fence. Right. But then I forget the third iteration I saw of this, what they called it, but they just removed the fence. Oh. Right? No, I don't like that because there's always going to be a fence. But doesn't mean we can't take it down. Oh, my God. <laughs> my, honestly, my biggest problem with hard conversations is that I am an eternal optimist. <laughs> no, but I, well, that's interesting because that's a, this is a beautiful example of that because I feel like I'm an optimist as well. And I'm the one saying things like, we're doing pretty good. Like, come on. <laughs> like, we don't need to have white privilege shame. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of like. Why do, why do I have to be shameful of my white privilege, right? So like that to me is I'm an optimist. And here we are having a conversation, a difficult conversation where we have on the surface different views, but we both underneath would identify ourselves as an optimist. That's pretty insane. It's reminding me of the last recording that we did where you asked me, what reality am I struggling with? And so now I feel like it's a great time for that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what re- when we talk about grappling with privilege, what reality are we struggling with, really? Yeah, for me, it's the shame. And Is that what you mean? Perhaps. And, you know, but what's the shame there? Like, is it is it guilt over past actions? Is it guilt for generational benefit? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't know what the shame is like, is the, cause I also like to differentiate between guilt and shame. Shame is like, I'm a bad person versus guilt being sure. I did a bad thing. Right. Yep. So I can let go of shame there. Cause I don't think that I'm a bad person, but if I'm carrying guilt related to that, what actions am I feeling guilty about? What behaviors do I wish I hadn't engaged in? Maybe it's the idea that I truly want to believe that my successes or my achievements are based on merit and based on hard work. And that even maybe I don't want to give white privilege. I want to give white privilege a little bit of credit. But I feel like society or certain groups, whatever, want me to give it a lot of credit. What is it to you if you give it a lot of credit? And I then it then it feels like it devalues my individual experience and my individual work ethic and my individual you know um, optimism and (laughs) and my individual um, determination. Yeah. And that's really uncomfortable. It is. Well, and I also think, too, you know, there's that there's that fine line, because one of my favorite quotes also, which came from the black community, which was the crown has already been bought and paid for. You just have to put it on. 
There is somebody that has come before you that has helped you get here. And that's wonderful. That's beautiful. I love that of like, you know, I'm a female business owner, but I don't feel like I'm doing it by myself. I don't feel like I'm a trailblazer. I love the idea that there are female business owners that I can look up to and ask questions to. And that, I love that, of that type of privilege. You've seen the representation. You have access to the resources to gain a mentor and a community in a way that you have this collective, right? And so I'm hearing, as we're talking about this and I'm thinking about it, there's this this tension between individualistic Mm -hmm. needs, wants, accomplishments, and the collective community, Mm. right? So what have I received or done as an individual versus as a part of a community? Yeah. And it's all intertwined and I don't know what to do about that. Right, right. So, but that's another great tactic in hard conversations is to be honest about, I don't know the answer or I'm not looking for any, I'm not leading you to an answer either. I do not have intentions in this conversation of changing your mind. And I don't feel that you have an intention in in my, you know, to change my mind. And if anything, that's more effective because now I'm thinking more about (laughs) my privilege and what that means. So if anything, that's more effective. You not asking me outrightly you know or right. that i i don't get that the intention of the conversation is to change minds it's right. to share ideas right right and and you know this kind of conversation is great for changing minds and there are times when we have those hard conversations that there is urgency to it or that there is an expectation that i need you to do something differently and if you don't there could be consequences for it right mm-hmm. so um i'm thinking about uh, friend of mine had a baby last fall having her in-laws come to visit Mm -hmm. I'm gonna need you to be vaccinated and to be tested before you come into our home right Right. and that's a hard boundary that's a boundary there's no conversation about this there are other things we can discuss and there's room for gray area that we can wade into but this is a hard line for me and they're the person setting that and you get to decide whether you're going to honor that or not. Right. Right. Same thing for powwow. Right. Like right. that's the boundary that that community has set. Yep. And I get to decide whether it's within my values or goals or whatever to align with that and honor that or not. Right. Which would be a pretty awakening thing going, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, who wants to say that? Right. And and can I handle the consequences if I don't agree to whatever is being asked of me or as, as someone making me ask, right. can I handle the consequences of that other person not agreeing? Right. Cause that may mean you're offending somebody. Can I handle that? Yeah. You're maybe making somebody else uncomfortable. You may have to apologize later. You might be wrong. Are you going to handle all of those things you know, how are you going to handle all those things and what are you going to do about all of that? That's tough. I don't know that we can make anybody else uncomfortable, though. True. Right? Yeah. Uh, This situation is uncomfortable. It just is. We're both, we're both experiencing the discomfort. I just happened to have pointed it out. (laughs) No, agreed. But, and I'm glad that that hopefully would be something that you, 
people are recognizing in hard conversations is the uncomfortability of it. Yeah. And not pretending that it's not there and not pretending that you have all the answers or that you know everything, right? I don't know if you've seen um, Adam Grant's new book is called um, Think Again. Yes. And it's all about like, oh, you might be wrong about this, <laughs> right? I was like, don't assume that whatever you think is correct or whatever. Yeah. I did see that that was coming out and I saw it and I was like, oh no. Yeah. It, it was heavy. I didn't finish it, but it was all of that kind of stuff of your, your presumptions and your assumptions going into something. Usually you don't rethink them. Yeah. Which is sad. Maybe. Okay. So if we're kind of giving like takeaways, right. Mm -hmm. We heard, you know, bringing things up to people in a caring, kind, compassionate way. Hey, just want to make you aware, blah, blah, blah. Um, considering the idea that you might be wrong. Yeah. That you may have to apologize to somebody. Um, especially, and I know we've talked about this other, we've talked about this um, before, but the idea of othering yourself. Mm-hmm. I love that. Of like, if you are going to be the dissenting opinion in a group of people that you know think the same way, are you going to be ready to handle that, the outcomes of that, of othering yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Um, understanding that you're making a lot of assumptions when you enter into these conversations with people um, th- of what they know, of what you know, things like that. And to ask yourself, what are the assumptions I have already made about this? Oh, wow. Yep. Um, you alluded to the idea of no urgency or like, you know, you're having this conversation. Great. This is wonderful. But there's no urgency in it whatsoever. Maybe there are sometimes. Right. Well, ask yourself if you're placing urgency there that doesn't need to be there. Sometimes right when we're drawing a hard boundary, there is some urgency. But for the most part. Right. There's no urgency in the conversations we've had today. Right. There's nothing about it that has to be decided at the moment. Right. And I, there's no urgency in you changing your mind or ever changing your mind or, yeah. Um, How about defensiveness? We kind of talked about like feeling attacked or, you know, when certain questions are worded. I think we have to be able to recognize that we are feeling defensive, that it's going to be a crucial part of having an effective, difficult conversation is that we are going to feel defensive at some point. And can we effectively handle that in the moment to continue the conversation without Mm -hmm. ending it? Yeah. (laughs) Getting out of there in a bad way. Okay. How about managing emotions? Yeah. So that mindfulness and even being able to name what's going on, that's, there are going to be emotions in those difficult conversations. Can you each sit with it, honor the other person's emotions without Mm -hmm. judging them for it? Take a break if you need to, whatever it is, what do you need to cope with so that you can continue? Because for whatever reason, you've decided this is important. I need to have this. And that's hard, I think, for a lot of people because emotions kind of cloud, they make it hard for you to come up with responses and th- and it, it's really hard in that moment. And especially I feel like I should be coming up with, yeah, you know, I should be really quick and clever when it does take me a while to go. Hmm. And so some of that's that like false sense of urgency. And sometimes it's because we're fighting to be right rather than fighting to understand. <laughs> 
that's such that's the foundation of this whole thing, right? Like you can't go into a conversation, a heated, controversial conversation with somebody thinking that you're going to come out and be the winner and be the right person. Maybe you're right on specific arguments or facts or things like that. But to come out at the end saying I'm right is poor. Or I won. Oh, that's even a worse one. That is even worse. Yeah. Yeah. But I think a lot of people think We we all do it from one time to another. Sure. Just aren't aware of it. But yeah, seeking to understand or seeking to what you said, get curious of like, well, I'm curious as to what you think about this. And I think that's a good um, tactic as well when you're in those conversations is a lot of times it's just rebuttal, 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 and nobody's asking questions. Nobody's going, tell me more about that, right? Like, And that changes the dichotomy of the conversation to now we're having a conversation. We're not having a debate. This is a conversation. Right. And I truly do want to learn more. Right. I want to understand you. I want to understand me. And what we don't understand together, let's go consult who knows more than us. Sure. You know, whether it's book, podcast, however you learn, right? What can we do to educate ourselves so that we feel better about making a decision? Wonderful. This has been awesome, Emily. This is a huge topic. It was. I can't believe we did it. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you'll come back. Absolutely. No lightning round for you today. You you got through it. (laughs) Woohoo!